Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 112. And we are super excited to have Francois Jeffrey on. Francois, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Jeffrey. That was close. Jeffrey. Oh, Jeff- man. <laughs> I even spelled it out phonetically in my doc, you know, to, to try to get it right. But I'm sorry. And sorry. No I'm sorry. Worries, At least I got the first name right. You know, that's you did. half the battle. You did. That- that's, uh, that's uh, most people call me by my first name so that's all good. all right cool <laughs> i apologize in advance so francois one one of the things we love to do uh when we get started is just get some background on you kind of uh we we love a long story some people will just give us kind of like the last few years but i love to hear the journey uh but feel free to share as little or as much as you like maybe where you were born raised kind of the journey uh business school whatever hard knocks up to today yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate it. Amy, we just talked not too long ago on Lickup Leaders, and that was super exciting. I think we got a lot of great content out there, actually. Um, but going back to, um, I guess, my background, uh, I, 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 unfortunately, as a kid, was not in supply chain enough, at least. But I think a lot of things do end up leading towards supply chain. Um, grew up with, uh, with two immigrant parents uh, that really pushed that uh, I, I had to go to college. That was one of the things. Um, and I say this on a lot of podcasts, but when you grow up with two immigrant parents, you have only a few options. If you go to college, you have to either be a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. Uh, those are really your three main options. Or you, you know, start your own business. That's the fourth option. <laughs> well, I did not start my own business. I, I was uh, pretty entrepreneurial and, and you know, running a little school store, selling candy and, and, and drinks in middle school. And uh, in high school, I um, joined this, uh, I worked for Target for a while as a cashier, realized I hated retail, hate those uh, Black Fridays and, and all that. But then I worked for uh, Naked Pizza, uh, which was a great experience. I think they, you know, even as a 17 year old at the time, they really pushed for me to tap into more of my uh, knowledge in just a local market and like how can we attract let's say the Spanish community in uh, Crystal City and Pentagon City where I'm uh, I'm originally from the Arlington area um, in Virginia and um, we got to have a lot of fun with uh, marketing and uh, really just pushing out this new brand of pizza essentially that they were bringing from the west coast uh, through there um went to college eventually, uh, right after high school, actually, and uh, studied computer science. Couldn't do the computer. Andy, I know you're in the technology space, but I could not do sitting behind a computer for that long, which ultimately now that's all I do for about 15, 16 hours a day. (laughs) But I couldn't like sit behind for computer science and code for 14 to 16 hours for a single project. I mean, I couldn't wrap my head around recursion uh, in Java for some reason. And so I switched that over to mechanical engineering Uh, for mechanical engineering. I I realized I, I, it just wasn't my path either. So industrial is what I ultimately ended up with. So industrial engineering was my path uh, in college. And it was more so just uh, a whole loop of problem solving, right? It's, it's, you learn a little bit of mechanical, electrical, computer science, um, civil engineering, you take all these different classes ultimately to just figure out like, Hey, can you go into any company and figure out what the problems are 
and how you can solve them effectively. So you want, you know, a, a, a very similar outcome in most cases, but it doesn't matter how you get to that outcome. Could be, let's say I'm an expert in computer science and I was able to bring to the table, I can code very strongly, but I have no UX design. So I have to bring in someone that can do UX, for example, or it can be something as simple as you're looking at a warehouse and two managers just really don't get along. Uh, well, their offices are right next to each other and you find out that they're bickering and it's causing a lot of labor issues. Um, well, you got to separate them and you need to maybe structure your next uh, warehouse a little bit more strategically um, or it's choosing where to set up warehousing. Uh, so it dove down into more supply chain also with uh, manufacturing and understanding bill of materials and understanding direct versus indirect labor costs um, minimum order quantities, why factories are, are having these, how technology helps improve these factors, um, you know, doing it um, with in-house labor versus outsourcing uh, processes. So it was, um, it was very interesting to me to see how supply chain all tied together. Um, and that's ultimately, I, I got really lucky with stumbling upon a posting for an internship uh, with Noviland. Uh, and when I saw it, I, I was like, what the hell was Noviland? I, <laughs> I wanted to work for one of the larger corporations, one of the larger companies. I did Coca-Cola for a while. I shadowed the industrial engineer. And I also crossed um, the way that I even got that job. I had to be a merchandiser also. Um, so I had to do the grunt work in order to even work with their industrial engineer and shadow them. Um, so, I mean, a, a lot of it ultimately taught me that there are so many different facets to supply chain. And, and it really fascinated me uh, to see how they all tie together. Um, and that's ultimately what we do at Nobiland uh, is we, we simplify the supply chain by tying the multiple layers of the supply chain together and, and trying to do it in a simple way, um, which right now uh, everyone thinks, uh, it, it depends actually who you ask, but I think a lot of businesses right now are starting to see how complex the supply chain actually is after 2020. Um, and, and it's no longer being able to do, you know, business as usual. There's no status quo, really. There's no one week to the next. You have to consistently innovate. You have to consistently uh, uh, figure out new problems that you're solving and, and how to effectively solve them, uh, yeah, which is what so, our team does. So it's so great to hear, like, that you've gone through a lot of different businesses, a lot of different things that you've done in your journey before kind of getting up to working for Naviland and, and getting into sourcing. So speaking of, you were, you were talking about supply chain, what are some of the difficulties that sellers are facing with sourcing today that you're seeing? What are those primary difficulties? Well, I, I would say going back to doing business as usual. I think a lot of businesses are coming in with the same mindset of, hey, my product is going to cost the exact same amount. The lead times are going to be exactly the same as I'm used to. Uh, shipping times are going to be the exact same. Container costs are going to be similar. Um, they're not realizing that factories right now are taking larger orders than ever because major corporations and, and, and other medium-sized businesses are placing larger orders into next year. Um, so I think a lot of the realities are actually changing in supply chain and particularly in sourcing. Um, and that's why I'm excited to actually just talk about some of these, some of these, um, I wouldn't call them taboo, but they're definitely things that sourcing agents and manufacturers and freight forwarders alike might not want to talk about because ultimately it, it 
makes them work a little bit more because they have to educate. And that's not their job. Their job is not to educate. They hope that you come in educated um, and that you understand what the challenges are before you start anything. Um, but I would say uh, the biggest challenge is really that uh, a lot of businesses are still trying to do exactly how they did their supply chain 2016, 2017, 18, 19, even 2020, when in reality, that's not how you can do business at all this year. Um, probably not even into next year. We're going to see it continuously change. Very cool. So what about the different countries that sellers are sourcing from? What are you seeing in terms of what people are looking for, um, different trends in different countries? Uh, what are the most popular countries to source from right now? Uh, China, I would say, I would say is still uh, the largest country that a lot of businesses are sourcing from. Uh, now, of course, they are looking out to, and I've talked to uh, Megla Bardawash about this also, sort of this China plus one model where they are, they might have fully invested all of their supply chain in China for the past decade, two decades, three decades, or even the past five years, maybe for newer sellers. Um, so that's all they know. But we are starting to see them go into Bangladesh, into uh, Pakistan, into India, maybe for more handcrafted goods or more uh, wooden um, uh, products. Um, even some, some electronics are starting to move into India, for example. Um, Vietnam, very strong with furniture, for example, is, is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, but also the textile industry, looking outside of China is a great idea in some cases, uh, particularly if you're just starting out, if you're looking for maybe a more handcrafted design. Um, we see a lot of uh, fast fashion, particularly, uh, does come from China, but they are starting to even outsource that into other countries like India. Um, so I, I think a lot of it isn't necessarily moving out of China. I think a lot of businesses are starting to diversify, though. So even though they keep their main supply chain in China, they may say, well, we're going to have a backup in India that produces 30% of my inventory. Uh, and we're just going to diversify our supply chain that way, mitigate a few of those risks. Awesome. And you talked about some of the products that people are sourcing. Mm -hmm. They're getting into some more handicraft types of types of things. Um, I know eco-friendly is a big trend, but can we talk about the trends, the things that people are sourcing? What are the product trends that people are sourcing now? Is it mostly still kind of commodities, white label kind of stuff, or are you seeing more product development? So uh, in, in our particular model, it's, it's a bit different to where we, when we first started, a lot of people that were coming in to source products through us, they were almost white labeling. It's not really private labeling, more so just seeing what they saw in Alibaba and saying, I want to copy this, but I want my own box. So that is the key difference between white labeling and private labeling. Um, now we are starting to see a lot more private labels in regards to more custom designs, more CAD files even. Um, but the downside to that is that we are also seeing videos, for example, out there saying, oh, it's super easy. Just tell a manufacturer the small changes that you want because they're so easy to make those small changes. Well, Amy, we talked about this at length uh, not too long ago. They're not. They're not easy. Um, we are starting to see a lot more customized products, but that also means that the, uh, you know, the average order value is going to be larger the defects may be higher. Uh, you need to pay more attention to smaller things like packaging, for example, for something that's more fragile. 
Uh, you need and, and and you can't necessarily always rely on your supplier to give you all that information up front. Uh, they're not there to babysit you. They're not there to teach you. They're they're there to be a partner, and a partner will give you the recommendations, but they won't do the job for you, right? They're not you're not yeah. paying them to design these things. I know that you know we definitely <laughs> went into depth in this, and it, you know it, it is it's it's so important if you want to have uh, the best prices and the best products you need to know your product and you can't expect your sourcing agent to, I mean, you can expect them to know it and they should know it. Um, and you should expect your supplier to know it, but if you don't and you don't define your requirements, you're just going to end up in trouble. So speaking of China and dealing with suppliers, there has been so many political things going on. There has been so much um, employee turnover in China. There's a lot of logistics. There's some suppliers I've seen just like raising their prices like crazy. Um, others, you know, running out of their, their business is kind of going under and they don't tell their their people that, of course, their, their um, clients that. And so, you know, a lot of, of sellers are kind of seeing these frustrations. So how do you kind of hedge against this new norm, which might not be so friendly going forward, um, dealing with your suppliers in China? Yeah, I mean, relationships is, are, are always number one. Uh, no matter what anyone says to you, it doesn't matter how much you spend with a supplier. If you don't have a good relationship with them, uh, you will. when the time comes, you will be uh, SOL right? You, you, you will not have the luxury of being told, hey, we're going out of business. So don't place your order right now. Um, someone that might be going out of business and you have a great relationship with, they may even be able to refer you to someone else um, to make sure that your business continues running because they appreciate that relationship that you have with them. Um, but also things like you mentioned um, unit costs going up. That is 100% a reality that uh, in the world, raw materials prices are going up. It's almost across the board. Um, now, here's the thing, though. They aren't necessarily going up by as much as a lot of factories are charging. Uh, so I've seen, in some cases, factories charging two to three times what um, the product cost initially was. So if it was $1, it might be 2 or $3 now. Uh, yeah. well, raw material, most raw materials, at least, are not going up that much. Uh, it, it's, it's all about, you know, they see this as an opportunity to uh, to, uh, to leverage your lack of education uh, in the market, your lack of knowledge in the raw materials um, and use that sort of not necessarily against you, but for their best benefit. Um, and this is why I always hound, I, I really do hound on, you know, make sure that you are keeping up with supply chain and, and every facet of it. And I know you're a big uh, proponent of understanding your product and understanding what goes into your product is just as important as understanding the functionality of it. Um, so understanding like, you know, hey, if um, this particular type of plastic resin is really going up, if, if you just see it going up for some weird reason, well, are there any alternatives? And if you have a good relationship with your supplier, they're more likely to tell you, hey, yes, you know, ABS plastic might be a good alternative because we have a big surplus of it, or it's really strong in our local region, or we have a lot of imports that are still coming through. So it's important to uh, establish that relationship, leverage it, um, and, and not necessarily uh, uh, doubt them, but always trust but verify. Uh, I would say on, on every end, whether it's your suppliers, whether it's your freight forwarders, 
Um, understanding that the markets are changing, but verifying how much they're changing is important. And speaking of that's, I think that's really, really good advice. Um, always know your product, always verify. We have, we have a, a mastermind member who has a longtime supplier that she has met in person and they suddenly raised the prices and she went and looked on the open market, looked at the prices and they hadn't gone up and she basically called their bluff and they started making other excuses and she ended up going and finding a new supplier. And now she has even more options. And, you know, just so I think it is good to kind of check things, especially maybe if you started and you were kind of new when you found that supplier, you, you never know. They may have have personnel turnover. If you're with a different salesperson, whatever, you know, definitely check things yourself. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, with saying, Hey, you know, you need to make money, right? This is not a charity. So you know, your supplier needs to make money, but you also need to make money. So it's it's good to make sure that you're checking up on those things. So speaking of relationships, you were talking about supplier relationships. What are some things that sellers can do to improve their relationships with their suppliers? Uh, great question. Um, and I think every every single business owner should be asking themselves that same question before reaching out to suppliers every single time. What can I do? Because this is a two-way road, right? Like you said, you both need to make money and that's perfectly acceptable. Um, but realizing that they're also human, <laughs> right? It's, it's coming off with a level of kindness um, that I think this um, we have been moving away from because things have become so transactional. Uh, so thinking of like, hey, I understand I'm just clicking a few buttons and I might not you know, think about how was their day going? Just are they having a good day in general? Uh, it's a very, very simple question. It's one sentence with a question mark at the end of it. How are you doing? Right? Asking them that can go so far because maybe they do have a horrible day. Maybe their pet died. Maybe they're having family issues. Whatever the case may be, the, that one question can really help you know, establish the rest of that day, the rest of your relationship. Um, and, and so starting off with something like uh, being human, I would say is the number one thing to starting off a good solid relationship with anyone. Uh, I mean, whether it's your supplier or your neighbor, right? So that's, um, that's such great advice. You know, whenever I do um, calls, I, I sometimes do calls with my client suppliers. And um, that's the one thing that they always take away from our calls is I spend about the first 10 to 20 minutes just understanding them and getting to know the the factory owner um understanding their family like you know hey are your how long have you owned the factory you know are your kids gonna take over do you have kids you know we talk about what region they live in we talk about the food we talk about how we're looking forward to coming and visiting and you know and it is all about just that human element i mean these are people with families and businesses just like us and uh that's such good advice for any relationship is to start by being human. I love that. Um, so let's talk about logistics hacks because, <laughs> oh my gosh, there, I know you, you at Navi land are also having issues with this. There's issues across the board. So are you guys discovering any logistics hacks with all the stuff that is going on right now with importing, with delays, with container shortages, um, with the increased shipping prices, like, what can we do <laughs> to improve the situation? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, uh, I wish that I can tell you there was a hack <laughs> for anyone, uh, but there's not. Uh, I mean, even for major corporations, they're struggling to lock in containers in way, and, and they're doing it in ways now uh, that they've never done it. So where before they might have a guaranteed contract, let's say directly with the shipping carrier for 100 containers per month. Um, this, is a, this is a very real case where large corporations tend to go directly to shipping carriers, let's say Maersk or Costco. Um, and they say, I guarantee you, I will ship from China to the US on this specific trade lane going from, let's say Ningbo to um, Long Beach or going to Oakland. Uh, because it actually goes from port to port, the trade lanes. They don't go from just China to the US. Uh, so they lock them in on these very specific trade lanes. Um, and they'll say, I need you to guarantee me 100 containers. And if I don't hit that 100 containers, I will pay a penalty. Um, well, now <laughs> they're, they're signing these, these contracts that say, essentially, we will give you containers as we see fit. We're, we're guaranteeing you that we will give you 100 containers, but it's like a yeah, we we're kind of guaranteeing you that we're going to give you 100 containers, and you know if you if we have the actual space and if it makes sense fiscally, um, because if they locked it in at like seven, eight, nine thousand dollars, and they could sell those same containers for fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars, I mean they're going to be making a crap ton more money um, selling that at the spot market rate, right? Um, so. Uh, I would say the biggest thing that we have learned, or at least uh, our logistics team uh, is pushing for, is establishing new relationships, uh, is finding not necessarily the cheapest freight forwarder, which we've never done. We've never looked for the cheapest freight forwarder, but it's finding the most reliable one. Uh, it's finding one that says, hey, I will guarantee that I have you this one container this Thursday at your factory. Um, and you can get them into a WeChat and they can lock it in and you can pay them whatever the down payment is to, to get that in there. Um, and they don't immediately change the rates on you uh, last second. Um, I, I think these uh, small things that are still part of a relationship building uh, are the most important parts. It's not price. Uh, right now it's a game of survival and those with the best relationships are gonna win uh, no matter what. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that... <clears throat> you know, cheapest isn't always the best, right? It's like, as I'm getting older now, you know, when you go into like the store and you needed like a, a blender or, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that one's 20 bucks. Cool. I'm going to buy it. And then it, you know, after like a year of use, it starts smoking and burning up. Whereas if you go spend the Vitamix money, you know, that thing's going to last you. I think ours has been like eight <laughs> years, you know, I mean like, but that's uh, that, that analogy, you know, translates in terms of like, you know, with the climate, the way it is, you're competing not only against other small businesses, but also multinational corporations, like you said, mm -hmm. with all this, all these resources. So if you have a trusted relationship, you know, then you're going to be, you know, even maybe even ahead of, you know, some of these large companies who don't have personal relationships. So I love that, uh, you know, uh, quality over quantity uh, in terms of, you know, getting stuff locked in and, and, and having that relationship. Um on that note, you know, a lot of people go at themselves, you know, go direct to the manufacturer, do everything, try to do everything themselves. Um, but, you know, if you're scaling and things like that, sometimes that's, that's not the best route, right? It's sometimes better to offload some, you know, whether it's like PPC or, you know, uh, sourcing or whatever it is, you know, sometimes when you're trying to scale your business, the, the, uh, you actually end up saving money in the long uh, term by getting time back, which time is money. So in what situations uh, should sellers consider using a sourcing agent or agency versus going direct, you know, on their own? Yeah, that's a great question. 
Um, and, and there's a few different tiers to it, right? There's a sourcing agent, which is a single person that takes care of uh, your sourcing itself and they'll flip every rock to try to find you new suppliers. And they might even help you vet the suppliers or handle some communications. Um, but based on their level of expertise uh, or based on my uh, knowledge of them, I should say, um, that itself can even be hard to scale, right? If you're looking for 10 different products and they're all different industries, well, let's say that sourcing agent needs to talk to at least 10 manufacturers for each product. That's 100 factories still for one person. Um, so there's sourcing agents, um, there's sourcing agencies that you can get a few different agents at also. Uh, there's sourcing companies like Noviland also that you can uh, have an entire team that actually works for you. Um, so I, I think the real question is, uh, at what point do you um, want to scale up your operations and, and what is your time worth to you, right? If, if your time is worth you staying up from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. every day, and you could do that successfully and talk to the different factories and negotiate successfully, um, and you could do that at scale. So meaning, you know, you're not just trying to get one other product, but you're looking at 10 other products and somehow you can manage all the different conversations, then all the power to you. Um, if you can go to China and you can have a few agents running around with you and helping you talk to them, all the more power to you. Um, now, truly offloading it is, uh, is different, right? That's where you can just say, hey, these are exactly the products that I need. Find me the best uh, suppliers for them and take care of my shipping. So calculate what my estimated costs are going to be, calculate what the actual production lead times are going to be, and make sure I don't screw up the relationships with any of the factories along the way. That's more so what you might get from a sourcing company, um, particularly if you're looking to do, you know, four or five SKUs at a time. Um, that's more so what we do. And, and uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, it's something where you save money sort of down the road. Uh, that's very much the case. The time that you don't have to spend there, the time that you don't have to talk to all the different factories, vet all the different factories, gather all the different quotes, negotiate with them. Uh, not only that, but stay informed and up to date as to what's going on globally in supply chain uh, is just as important as all those uh, other uh, little tidbits that I talked about. Um, that's, that's really where you're saving uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, it could be a month, depending on your size and your scale. Um, so it's hard to really say at this number, you need to uh, start considering outsourcing. Um, but it's once you realize that you really do want to scale up your operations, uh, it's knowing what you're good at, what you can build an internal team with, how much that's going to cost you versus how much a different company like Noviland would save you. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.